just something good about coming and feasting together. Like, it's, it's okay to eat alone. We all do that, right? But it's something about coming together and eating is, is even better. And so we're going to come and we're going to um, eat something good from the Word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, we honor you in this place today. We've honored the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I'm asking that you use me to, to speak through me this morning, for you have anointed me to bring the word, and you have anointed us here to hear your word, and to be not just hearers, but to be doers. We thank you for this. We thank you for the work that you've started, that you will complete. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Everybody. You hear that? Everybody said amen. Well, today I'm going to preach a message that you know, maybe after today, I'm just going to take credit for it, but I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due this one time. And I've been listening to um, some preachers from the States from a church called New Song Church in Oklahoma City, uh, and their names are Pastors Josh and Sarah Blunt, and you can throw that picture up, Nathan, of their family. And this is a message that Sarah Blunt preached, and I just felt like when I was asking her, what do you want me to talk about? I heard this message and it was like, this is good. So I'm going to preach it like her revelation is my revelation because as I listened and as I took notes and as I studied, it became my revelation. So you're all going to get your own revelation today. But, so this is the Blunt family. They've got three kids, Gus, Bo, and Sonny, and they're just awesome. I don't know them personally, but I feel like I do. So it would be weird to meet them and be like, hi, dude, I don't know you, but I feel like I do. Anyways, maybe someday I will get to meet them. So this message this morning is called Salt and Light. And I know why we're supposed to be hearing this this morning. I just know why. In my, it's right. For, it's a right word for today. Um, <clears throat> there's a quote by A.W. Tozer that I've seen uh, this week. Actually, I think it was posted by um, Joel and Jamie Housing from Impact Church in Red Deer. And it, he was a, a pastor, a preacher, um, a prophet in the early um, the first half of 1900s was his ministry and he says this a scared world needs a fearless church a scared world needs a fearless church and I believe that and you know it's interesting because I was thinking back to just this new year in January here Pastor Cam our pastor here at Solid Rock Church he preached a whole series on living fearless for three weeks, he, he preached us a series to us about being fearless. And so if you miss those, or if you are interested in hearing that, just go on our website. The messages are there for any, you to listen to at any time and, and get fed something that will build faith and uh, push out fear, right? So I think that was pretty neat that we have that, that God was working in us even back then. Um, did you know that we that you are an influencer. You are an influencer. We are called to be influencers. Our lives were meant to be influential. And God has given us, each one of us, a platform, like a sphere of influence, your world, and that's made up of the people that you brush shoulders with every day. That's your platform. And we are to be good stewards of these spheres. And so I want you to keep that in mind here. So I want to start by looking at um, the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. 
If you've got your Bible, you can turn to that. If not, we're going to have it up here on the screen for you. And this was, just to, set, just to set the stage here, now this was a very influential message that Jesus taught. And it starts in Matthew 5, and it spans a couple chapters. And, you know, theologians believe that it was even spoken over several days where the people would come back and hear him the next day. And it was like, kind of like a conference that we would have nowadays. So this was a very important time in the life of Jesus, and this was a very important message he shared. So let's start by looking at it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, I just want to stop there because I think there's three super important phrases in there. First one, Jesus saw the crowds. You know what that tells us? It tells us that Jesus was an influencer. If he wasn't an influencer, there would not be crowds following him around. And let me tell you, back then, when you followed someone, it took a lot more than a click. It took a lot more than a scroll, than a little read on your, on your screen. You had to get up out of your bed, get dressed, leave your house to follow someone. That is next level. So Jesus had followers, crowds of followers, he was an influencer. People were following him. The second statement, he went up on the mountain. Now sometimes we see in the Gospels that Jesus would go up, to, go up the mountain or go to a place by himself to get away from people, not because he didn't want them around him, but because he needed time that was quiet, that he could hear from the Father and be built up in, in the Spirit. Uh, so he could go back to the people with something, to offer them something. So that's different. This was Jesus went up the mountain, not to get away in this case, but because he had something important that he wanted to share with them. So he positioned himself in a place where he could be easily seen and easily heard. Jesus went up the mountain. The next phrase, his disciples came to him. So I think sometimes I even just picture this that maybe it was just his 12 disciples. Like, those are the famous ones, the 12 disciples that he chose. And you kind of get that picture in your head that, okay, those disciples came to him. But this is talking about every follower that was there that day was a disciple. A disciple is a follower. So this message was for everyone in that crowd that came. They were the disciples he was speaking to that day. The 12 were there, yep. But this was a larger crowd of people that were considered his disciples his followers. So, Jesus never changes. God never changes. So if he spoke a word to his followers then, and all these years later, there's followers and disciples of Jesus here today. And this message is just as much for us here today as it was for them back then. Because God hasn't changed. Jesus, his message hasn't changed. So we can take this and apply it directly to ourselves here today. So let's move on. Don't worry, I'm not going to stop at every single verse through chapters 5 to 7 in case you're worried. But we just got to stop for the good stuff here. Matthew 5 verse 2 then says, He opened his mouth and began to teach them. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. I think this is interesting because it could have just said, and Jesus began to teach them. But it includes that he opened his mouth and began to teach them. It's kind of like, doy, yeah. But this is, but if we dig deeper into what that saying means and what that expression means, it's, it means that he wasn't just 
casually talking, but he was energetically, loudly, boldly exerting a bunch of energy to teach this message. And he was projecting his thoughts with earnestness. He was expressing that what he was about to say was extremely important to him. So Jesus opened his mouth. He was bold, expressive. Um, he put some grit and some heart into it because it mattered so much to him. So if we can just for a second imagine being there. And, and you can tell, oh, I've seen Jesus speak before, but man, the way he's carrying on today, like, this is, God, this is important. I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing something important here today. And it was important because Jesus was about to deliver the constitution of the kingdom. The constitution of, of God's kingdom realm. He was going to deliver that there for them that day. And he was, gonna, he was about to describe what being a disciple or a follower of Jesus looks like in everyday life. This was a big deal. Uh, in the Passion Translation, there's a really awesome footnote that I'll read to you, that, what it says here. It should be noted that Matthew's chapter 5 to 7, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, is the Messianic Torah, or the Law and Teaching, and the Constitution of the Kingdom of Heaven. Now, Jesus begins with giving his followers a superior way to live than the Ten Commandments of Moses. It is a superior version of all that God expects and provides for those who yield to him. Jesus gives us more than laws. He gives us promises of power to fulfill all that he asks of us. The emphasis is not on outward duty, but on inward transformation of our hearts by grace. God's kingdom is offered to those who will learn the ways of Christ and offer themselves in full surrender. I think that says it so well. This was Jesus taking what they knew about the law and the Ten Commandments and what, and what they'd been taught by their answers, and he's like, now it's time for this. This is a better way of living. And not only am I giving you this, this charge to live this way, but I'm saying... I'm empowering you to do it. This is possible. As my followers, this is possible. This is new way of life is possible. This was a landmark sermon. And just as it was a landmark sermon for them back then, this can be a landmark service here for us today. And I believe and I pray that it will be a landmark word for you today. That you will leave here with something that you didn't come here with. And that something will be what the Holy Spirit's going to impart to you here today. And you're going to be able to take that home into your life and start living it out. Not because you can do it on your own. Not because I'm a great preacher or speaker. But because the Holy Spirit is doing something in you. So Jesus preaches on. And because I can't, like I said, stop at every verse. We're going to skip ahead a few verses. Uh, that he goes through what we call now the Beatitudes, and we're going to pick this up in verse 13. And here's, here's what we're talking about today. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if, if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand 
where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Your heavenly Father. I don't know why I said that backwards, but... You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. So if you are a Christ follower here today, this is you. Jesus is talking about you. And I think what's so important, one of the things that's so important about these verses is that they unlock purpose. You know, um, Mark Twain has a, has a quote that says, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why. We all crave purpose. We need to be needed. We need to have a, something that we're here for. We were born with that. That's something put in us by God. And um, I don't know, probably most of you are familiar with Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. I'm not sure how many years ago now it's been, um, maybe he wrote 20 years ago. I don't know if it's been that long. Time flies when you're having fun. But that book sold a, a, at least 32 million copies worldwide, and it's been translated into 85 languages. Like, I didn't, I can't even list 85 languages. But that just goes to show that there's a hunger for knowing our purpose. Why on earth am I here? <clears throat> I think we need purpose, um, or sometimes we find purpose even in, well, you get up, you go to work, bring home the salary, you get up, make the lunches. You know, we, our, our purpose is just day to day, get it done, next day, get it done. But we crave more than just that. And these verses are what give us a greater purpose in our life. So let's just talk about what, like, salt and light. That sounds, it sounds really nice, but why did he call, why did he use those things to describe us? Why did he call us those names? Why was he calling us names? So let's talk about that. First of all, let's talk about salt. There are maybe more, but we're going to talk about the three attributes of salt that could, that show us why Jesus called us this little mineral. So number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Salt is precious. Salt is precious. And this is a little bit hard for us to understand these days because, I mean, we've got salt everywhere. We've got, we've got salt in everything we eat. We've got salt um, <clears throat> to spare, salt to cut, cut back on. You know what I'm saying? Cut back on the salt intake, y'all. And that's what our life is like right now. Salt is not considered, yeah, oh, you need more salt in your life. But listen, have you ever, I was, I'm curious about this. Have you ever heard this um, expression, worth one's salt? Has anyone heard that? I gotta be honest, I hadn't heard that before. Worth one's salt. Well, this is a saying, and um, it goes back to, I guess Bible times are like in that time where it means worth one's pay, worth one's salary. And the word salary actually comes from the Latin word salarium because the word first part of that, sal, uh, means is Latin for salt. So worth one's pay, worth one's salary, salary, salt. And it's believed that this saying originates to when the Roman soldiers used to be allotted a portion of income, a salary, to purchase salt. 
because back then salt was a very necessary commodity and it was required for their survival. They didn't have hot dogs. They didn't have Tim Hortons donuts to build up their salt intake. They'd be out sweating in the sun, doing their work, doing their rounds, and their bodies would be dripping salt, losing salt. And they couldn't just go home and, and have a sandwich. They had to buy salt so that they could rebuild their salt intakes in their body. So when Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth, he's adding great value to your life. Salt is precious. Now, sodium is, is necessary for some basic body functions, and that's why Worth One's salt, that part of their salary was really important to get salt back in their body. So let's just look at that a little bit. I'm not a doctor, but this, you can look it up. Google this. Salt, the human body needs salt to, one, transmit nerve impulses. So nerve impulses are when your brain sends messages to the rest of your body, causing, them, causing a reaction. So if you were driving and you saw a vehicle coming into your lane, your brain would react and send nerve impulses to your hands, your feet, the rest of your body to react, swerve, brake, whatever you need to do. Your, body, your brain sends nerve impulses. Well, as the salt of the earth, you are called to know how to respond in any given situation. You're called to that. That's available. The Spirit of God on the inside of you sends messages to your brain and your body, helping you to know how to respond. The Holy Spirit in you will give you information and, and strategies that you wouldn't even know with your, with your uh, natural mind. But you, as the salt of the earth, you receive this, the, those nerve impulses that he sends to you, and you're able to respond in every, everyday situations in the right way. Jesus operated like that all the time. Okay, number two, the human body needs salt to contract and relax muscles. So when muscles contract and relax, this is good because you know what that means? Muscles get stronger. Exercise, the E word. Exercise, muscles contracting and relaxing. Salt, salt helps your, is involved with your body doing, being able to do that. So as the salt of the earth, we are called to contract and relax the largest spiritual muscle there is. Does anyone have a guess? Faith. Faith is our spiritual muscle. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Faith is what makes impossible things possible. We are called to contract and relax the faith muscle, making it grow stronger. And the main way we do this is through prayer. The main way we release faith is through speaking and prayer. Salty people are people of prayer. Now, we sh this, this goes into saying that, like, we should not just be rubbing shoulders with the people in our spheres of influence, but we could be praying for them, praying for, and not just hoping maybe, maybe there'll be an opportunity that just comes up to say something or to be encouraging or to pray or to have a conversation with them, maybe, maybe, but to actually use that, contract that faith muscle, praying that, there will be something good happening in these relationships because of the Holy Spirit showing me how to, how to act and react. So salty people are people of prayer. And then number three, the human body needs salt to maintain proper fluid balance. <clears throat> salt helps our bodies maintain proper fluid balance. Well, this is important because if you're 
fluid balance gets uh, thrown off, you can become dehydrated. And dehydration affects many important functions in your body. It's, not, it's dangerous to be dehydrated. As the salt of the earth, we are called to be the ones that, have, that bring the river of living water that Jesus, has, that Jesus teaches in the word that's flowing in us to come out of us as well. He has he is given us the river of living water both in us and coming through us. So in this world, we're called to be the ones that help provide um, people with a drink of Jesus. People that are dehydrated in their lives, that are missing, are missing something. Their, function, their functioning is off. Because they're dehydrated, they haven't had a drink of the Lord. We need to help them revive their spirits with the drink of Jesus. So, that's all salt number one. Salt is precious. So that's a lot of reasons why salt's precious. And Jesus was calling you precious when he said you are salt. Number two is salt is preserving. So once upon a time, way back, there was just no such thing as stainless steel refrigerators that you open and, the, and you just get that breath of fresh air coming from it. You know, the LED light just welcomes you in. You've got crisper drawers. You've got um, veggie drawers. You've got the meat drawers and just uh, shelves you can adjust any way you want. This was not so. Like, this is how we know refrigeration and food preservation. But there was a time where that didn't exist and they had to use a salt to preserve food. So when you add salt to food, it draws out the moisture which causes it to, to, it causes the rot to slow because it, the moisture is where the bacteria is. So salt was used to preserve. As the salt of the earth, we are called to act as preservatives. We are to prevent God's standards and ways of doing things from rotting away in this time and in our age. We're called to keep the Bible fresh and desirable we, are, we should be on a mission to preserve truth. You know, if we don't keep a God-honoring life, according to God's word, God's presence in our places where we are, it will begin to deteriorate. We are called to be the preserving agents where God has put us so that his way of doing and being right doesn't rot in this world, doesn't deteriorate, doesn't go away. And I think sometimes when something like... We've all seen in our nation how there's been a, a deterioration and, and a pulling away of, from God. But and we, and we kind of think like, well, when something starts to deteriorate and rot, we kind of think, ew, gross. And we're kinda, we want to throw it away or we want to get away from it. But we are not called to get away from it. We are called to be in the world, to be there, to be a preserving agent, and to keep God's standards and God's ways of doing things here here in this time. You know what? We do this by living a God-honoring life and showing up to do that every single day. Every single day. We never quit. We never grow tired. And it's not because we're invincible. It's not because we're robots. It's because we choose to. And it's the Holy Spirit power on the inside of us empowering us to do it. So that's Salt is preserving. 
you are the salt of the earth. You are called to be a preserving agent wherever you are. Number three, salt adds flavor. Can I get an amen? Flavor. Salt adds flavor, and salt makes everything taste better. We know this. Who eats popcorn with no salt on it? Come on. Why do that? Just put the butter and salt on and enjoy yourself, right? I'm just saying that so I feel better about my popcorn intake. But salt is an essential flavor in our food, and it may, this is why. Listen to what salt does. Salt magnifies aromas, and it balances flavors. Thanks to its chemical nature, salt has the amazing ability to intensify agreeable tastes and diminish disagreeable ones. Salt enhances foods by turning up the volume of the salty flavor. Salt also dials down the taste of bitter foods by suppressing our perception of bitterness. It also balances other tastes, like sweet and sour. Adding just a tiny amount of salt to a dish will make a big difference. But here's the thing, we don't add salt, like you don't add that little bit of salt to cookie dough because you want your cookies to taste salty. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is not salty enough. We need to dump that thing in, no. And I think too often, the church, there, we have been guilty of being a little too salty, a little too maybe in your face, a little too maybe judgy, or a little bit too, too, you know what I'm saying? And, and it has turned some people away from the gospel. But we're called to not be too salty. We're called to be just the right amount of salt that adds the flavor and increases and amplifies the God flavor and makes and makes the kingdom of God taste like it's supposed to. And let me tell you, it's supposed to be delicious. It's supposed to be something that we crave and desire to, to, to partake in. And we are called to bring that to the church, to the world as the church. Salt adds flavor. Speaking of flavor, <clears throat> over this past year or so, I've kind of caught the hankering for um, the drink, the bubblies. Anyone here a bubbly fan? You know what those are? Flavored carbonated water. Like, I wish I would have thought of that. Honestly, what a great idea, because it's just becoming popular. So I, I, I kind of got into this bubbly thing. I kind of like it. But I got to tell you, the first time I tried it, not a fan. Like, like you take a drink and you're like, mm, I don't know. What does that taste like? I don't know if I like that or not. Do you know what? Bubbly has nothing in it. It has zero salt. And it has almost zero flavor. Uh, but here's the thing. There's another brand in the States that's been doing flavored carbonated water for a long time, and it's called LaCroix. Does anyone, is anyone familiar with LaCroix? It is at Co-op. I've seen it there. And I maybe, maybe I've tried that once or something. I don't know. But it kind of got in the bubbly vein, so now I'm loyal to them. But, but LaCroix in the States has been a thing for quite some time, and they have tried many flavors. They just have flavors that I would never even try because it sounds gross. But so a thing online has been these funny memes about the flavors of LaCroix because really the flavor, does it really matter what they call it? Can you even taste it? So here's, I'm gonna show you what some of them, examples of someone. Give us the first one there, Nathan. <coughs> so we've got one that's hint of, hint of lime. 
like it's, it's a hint of a hint. hint. Just a little bit of lime. Let's give it, go to the next one. Shy watermelon, not loud in your face, just shy, sitting over in the corner. Next one. Transported in a trunk, in a truck near bananas. Like there were bananas in the truck. You might be getting a whiff of that. I don't. I was near them. Okay, and next one. Previous tenant squeezed a lemon. I'm pretty sure they squeezed a lemon when they were here last. So you might be getting a, a hint of that. Is that the last one? Yeah. So flavor is not really there. Like, and let me tell you, we were not meant to live a LaCroix Christianity. We were not meant to taste like bubbly. We were meant to live intensifying the God flavors in the earth. So that when people get around us, they don't just get a hint of hint of hope. No, they get, our, they get the flavor that we're hopeful. We're full of hope. You know, they don't just get like shy gospel shy gospel. No, they get the boldness, like the boldness that came on Peter after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the flavor they get from us. You know what else they don't get? They don't get the taste that, that I was transported in a truck near the Holy Spirit. No, they get the flavor that I am filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed with the Holy Spirit, so that I'm empowered to transport them to, the, to freedom in Christ Jesus. And you know what else they shouldn't be tasting? They shouldn't be tasting that the previous tenant squeezed a little bit of the fruit of the Spirit. No. They should be getting the full flavor of the power of the gifts of the Holy Spirit coming out of me in order so that they can find freedom and wholeness in Jesus. It should be like, wow, flavor burst. It should be flavor burst. That's what our lives as Christians should be. People should be able to get around us and be like, mmm, yum. And what they're tasting is they're tasting the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what? But this only happens, church, when we are abiding in God. What does that mean? Abiding in God, well, that's having a relationship with him. Something real and alive. Did you hear me? Real and alive. A real relationship. We all have relationships in our lives. Some are more real and connected than others. Well, this is to be the most real and connected relationship in your life should be with the Heavenly Father. And it can be with Him. Now, that takes time and that takes conversation. So abiding in God and spending time and conversation with Him, Him in, in writing, this is Him too, that's how we abide in God. And that's how we get the flavor. Amen? All right. We're done talking about salt now. we got to move on to light. Why is and how is light important? Well, Genesis 1, chapter 3. We're going to start at the beginning. And the very first recorded words of God were in this, in this verse. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the light that God spoke into existence in this verse was not the sun. It was not any stars. That was, that was physical light. But this was supernatural, a supernatural substance of light. And it came before the natural substance of light, like the sun. 
And it says in verse 2, right before it says, Before the light came, the earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, and an inky blackness. And you know what? The physical earth was in that state, and God spoke the light into existence. But there are people today that we rub shoulders with that have a spiritual state of inky blackness that they're living in. And it's hard to be there. It's a hard life, not having light in your life. And we are called to be a light in their darkness. Then in in, uh, verse 4, it says that God saw that the light was good, pleasing, useful, and he affirmed and sustained it. And God separated the light, distinguishing it from the darkness. So here's what God did to the light. We just read, God affirmed the light, God sustained the light, God separated the light. So you are the light of the world. So God is telling us that God affirms us, God sustains us, and God has separated us. Let's just look at that in some other verses in the New Testament. Number one, he affirms us. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21 to 22. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us, By his spirit, he has stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. If you are looking to people, if you are looking for love and approval and acceptance from people, your light is going to grow dim. That is not enough to feed the light. We must be looking to God and letting him be our source of affirmation. Not our spouse, not our children, not our parents, not our boss, not our friends. Those will never be enough to affirm us in the way that we were, that we were only designed to be affirmed by God. And as the light of the world, God has affirmed you. Are you righteous? It says, yes. He put his yes on the inside of you. Are you worthy? Yes. God said you were. He put his yes on the inside of you. Can he use you? Yes. He put his yes inside of you. God has affirmed you. Number two, God sustains us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 7-8, it says, You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're looking to your employer, to your job, to your popularity, to your good looks, to your work ethic, to sustain you, your light is going to grow dim. The only thing powerful enough to sustain us is God. And we must look to him as our sustainer because, and trust him and just withhold nothing from him because he's the one that meets every one of our needs according to his riches and glory. God is the one that sustains us. Number three, he separates us. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, set aside to be a royal order of priests, a holy nation, God's own, so that you may proclaim the wondrous acts of the one who called you out of inky darkness and into shimmering light. He has separated the light from the darkness. And church, if we become like the world instead of being transformed into the image of Christ, our light won't be able to shine bright enough for anyone to see Jesus through us. 
And I think that if a, I was thinking about this, if a light shines and no one sees it, did it even shine? <laughs> kind of like that, if a tree falls in the forest. And we were, God has us here so that, and set aside so that we can be the light of the world. And if the light is imitating darkness, it's not light. We were called to be set aside, separated for a purpose. Now, Jesus, he had a mission when he came here to earth, and his mission was, like, no big deal. Live a perfect life, die on the cross, done. Rise from the dead, done. And, and you think, live a perfect, sinless life. You know, if anyone had an excuse to maybe find an island and just isolate themselves so that they don't sin, then he maybe had the best excuse ever. He had to live a perfect, sinless life. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did not do that at all. He showed us by his example and, and taught us that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And I think that um, sometimes we hear in mainstream media that Jesus accepted, you know, he just accepted everyone. And said in that way, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't accept sin and people that were rejecting the gospel because he couldn't. But listen to this. Um, this is uh, put by a theologian named Kevin DeYoung. He puts it this way. Jesus was a friend of sinners, not because he winked at sin, ignored sin, or enjoyed lighthearted revelry, revelry with those engaged in immorality. He was a friend of sinners, but not because he did that. He was a friend of sinners in that he came to save sinners. And, it was very, and he was very pleased to welcome sinners who were three things. Open to the gospel. Repent of their sins. And on their way to putting their faith in him. He could see in people and sense in people when they were doing, I think, even one of these three things. If there was even one of these things going on in their hearts, Jesus was like, come here. i got a word for you. I've got something for you to do that's going to lead to your freedom. He was the light, capital L, of the world. And he was drawing people to him, and those people coming to him were ready to receive. They were looking for more, and they were ready to, to trust him. And those were the people that received from Jesus. Does he want us all to receive from him? Yes. Can he make us? No, because that goes against what he has set up as choice. Freedom of choice. So, Everything Jesus did was purposeful and intentional. Now, turn on the light. In youth group, a few weeks back, we had two weeks where we did games and activities in the dark. The first week was like pitch dark. We, like, we taped all the windows and it was like, it was dark. We even covered like emergency lights. Like it was, it didn't matter. If there was an emergency, we were gonna be stuck in here because it, like, it was game time, game on. And I tell you, things would be all fine and normal, and you're all like not even thinking about uh, like where you're walking. But then all of a sudden, we turn the lights off, and instantly everybody freezes. Everyone's just like, "Okay, okay, now where am I? Okay." And then every noise was like intensified, and there, for some reason, there was more screaming, like because like, "Oh, oh I didn't see you there!" And and it's just like you're, it's just like you're on edge in the dark. It wasn't a nice feeling, honestly. And then people tripped on stuff, like it hurt. Like, I shouldn't tell you all that goes on at you, so don't, don't worry about it, it's fine, it's fine. It'll, 
it'll be fine, yeah. No, it was not major. But what I'm saying is the darkness had an impact on me and it, and it, I wouldn't call it good <laughs> or nice. Uh, it made for a fun game. But um, Sarah Blunt, when she preached this message, she gives such a beautiful example and, and a revelation that God gave her, so I'm gonna use hers. So uh, her and her friends went to do an escape room or they call it a breakout room. If you've heard of that, you go to a place with a bunch of friends and there's a room that they've designed and a storyline that they've set up that you <clears throat> have to go in there and then you have an hour to figure out how to get out. And it's solving clues, finding clues, solving things, getting uh, locks and passwords and things like that. Uh, <clears throat> so they went and they did this one. They had some successes before, they'd always gotten out. So they did this one, what theme was, and they were uh, kidnapped and the room was dark and they were handcuffed. So time starts. They uh, quickly get out of their handcuffs solved the first few clues, and then they were stuck. Like, they, the hour came and went, and they failed. They did not get out. So then at the end, they have the, the facilitator, the coordinator comes in, and we'll go over with you, like, what, what you missed, why, you know, why didn't you, this is what you should have done. And the facilitator told them, I was so surprised that when you got out of your handcuffs that you didn't turn on the light. And they were like, we kind of thought that was just like part of the atmosphere, like, whoa. She's like, no, like everyone else turns on the light, and if you would have turned on the light, you would have seen this, and they were like, oh. So they were, this Sarah Blunt, she's super competitive, like, if you're not gonna play to win, why play? And so she was thinking about, oh, I should have done that, and she was thinking about it, and the Lord showed her this picture that, that there's people in the world, in our worlds around us, that they are trapped in their own room their own room and it's dark and they're trapped in rooms that um, that involved that involve like maybe the loss of friends or the loss of a job or they're trapped in rooms where it's depression or trapped in rooms of poverty trapped in rooms of sickness and they they're walking around like oh, I just oh, I don't like I don't know what to do I can't see I'm stuck in here and and the Lord showed her that 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 she is a light, she, and we are the lights that are supposed to come into people's rooms and light up their rooms so that they can see the, the tricks of the enemy, the lies of the enemy, the strategies of the enemy, and that, so that when they see that, they can see their way out of the room. They can see their way out and find their way out to freedom. We are called to be the light in the dark rooms for people. I'm going to close with this. <clears throat> Nathan, you can go ahead and just start that music. So another important thing that light does is light reveals what is lost. In Luke <clears throat> chapter 15, verses 8 to 10, it is a parable. And it says, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, will she call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. Well, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, it's interesting in this verse that when she realized something was missing, something valuable to her was missing, the first thing she did was turn on a light. She lit a lamp. 
And let me tell you, God has many people in this world that are still lost to him. And the first thing that he's doing is he's turning on his lights. He's turning on his lights in the world because it's the lights in the world that will reveal what, what is lost and bring what was lost back to God. Church, you are a light. And you are a key element in God gaining back to him what's most valuable to him. And that's people. That's people's souls for eternity, but people's freedom here and now today. You are God's light. We are God's light. And sometimes I think that when we read a verse like you are the salt of the world you are the light of the of the world and and we think well that's pretty big the earth's a big place the world's a big place but i feel like god wants you to put these verses into your world and he wants you to think of it like this you are the salt of your world of your earth you are the light of your world, the places where you go every day, the people you see every day, your family, your people, your sphere, you are the salt and light there. That's the world that you have an effect on. Um, I have a handout for you today. If you want to take it, you can. And on it is... Um, Confession. This is just word taken from scripture and put in normal language. And it just and it's a declaration of I am salt, and then you read that out over yourself. And then I am light, and you read that over yourself. And then at the bottom, this is what it looks like here. Then at the bottom it says, I am the salt of, and it's some lines there. So I want, if you take one of these, and even if you don't think about this, I want you to fill that in. I am the salt of the Swan River Valley. Fill it in with your life. I am the salt of Parkdale Drive. I am the light of the Swan Valley School Division, parent councils. I am the light in my family, in my house. I am the salt. I am the light of these places. And just believe that you are and that God is, is adding to you everything you need to live this life he's called us to live with purpose and with destiny. A scared world needs a fearless church, but put it into your world. A scared person needs a fearless follower of Christ. We are needed. We are salt and we are light. Why don't you stand this morning and I just close. You know, you might be here today and you are that you know that you are the salt and the light. You know that you have chosen and received Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. But you, you've sensed here this morning that you've let your saltiness fade away and you've let your light dim down. But I believe here this morning you can get your flavor back. You can turn up the light. You can turn it up in you. And it's not power of you it's the power of the Holy Spirit in you letting him minister that to you this morning and stirring up those coals within you and I and I feel like if you are here today and you don't know 
if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life and you don't, you know you're not the salt of the earth or the light of the world. You don't have a relationship with him, but it's something that you want. Maybe it's something you've thought about before, but you're at a point now where you're ready for relationship. You're ready to lay down the past life and take up the life of Jesus, no matter, no matter what, because his love is so great. His love is so great, and life with him is better tasting than any other life there could ever be. And life with him is the brightest it could ever be. So maybe you're in one of those places here today. You need a boost. You need a relationship with him for the first time. Holy Spirit is here to meet every need. And he is here to give you what you need to go out and do and fulfill what you've been called to do. So if you, have, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life today and start a relationship, why don't you just repeat after me? All church, you can agree with us. Heavenly Father, I believe in Jesus today. And I choose to accept you as my Savior, as my Lord. I will be your salt in the earth. I will be your light in the world. You said you could use me. Please do. I give myself to you. Teach me all your ways and show me all your paths. I know they're good. Thank you for purpose.